Well, for those of you who, who may be visiting with us this morning, as a church family, we've been making our way through a, a verse-by-verse study uh, of the book of Luke, uh, a study looking at the life and the ministry of Jesus. Uh, we've called it All That Jesus Began because the author of the book, Luke, wrote two books. He wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. And the first book, he talked about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. In his second book, the book of Acts, he talks about all that Jesus continued to do and to teach through his apostles uh, as, as the church was being launched and spread throughout the world. And over the last several weeks in our study, uh, we've been following the early days of Jesus' public ministry up in the northern uh, part of Israel, in the geographical region known as Galilee. I, I would love to have put up about 100 pictures of, of this region because this is absolutely my favorite part of the land of Israel. It is beautiful, and it's, it's still largely untouched, which, which is nice. It's a beautiful area. But uh, as we've seen so far in this study, as Jesus was ministering there up in the north, we, we have seen Jesus moving from, from village to village. He's been teaching in their synagogues. He's been healing those who are sick. He's been freeing those who are demon-possessed, performing miracles like the, the miraculous catch of fish with, with Peter and, and some of the other disciples. We read a story about Jesus cleansing a man who had full-blown leprosy. We read a story about Jesus healing a paralytic whose friends had carried him to Jesus and lowered him down through the roof. We've seen Jesus spending time with, with sinners and, and, and outcasts, people that, people that the religious leaders would have nothing to do with. And we've seen Jesus inviting them and others to come and, and follow him, to be his disciples. It's pretty amazing stuff, and we've only covered, that's just in a, in a, in a couple of chapters, right? And so not surprisingly, not surprisingly, many people began to follow Jesus. I mean, wouldn't you? If you were there and you were hearing these stories, wouldn't you be drawn to what's happening? I mean, they had never heard anybody teach with the type of power and authority that Jesus taught with. They had never seen miracles like they were seeing. I mean, they'd heard about them, right, in the Old Testament, all kinds of great stories of miracles, the way God worked in and through his people. But th this was happening there in the region of Galilee. These were things that were happening. And, and so as you can imagine, wherever you went at, at that time, if you went to the marketplace or you went to the synagogue, people all over the land of Israel would have been talking about the miracles and, and the teaching of this, this new rabbi named Jesus. They were like, well, maybe this is the Messiah that we have been waiting for. And so people began to travel from all over the land of Israel, from, from Judea and, and Jerusalem in the south, traveling up to Galilee to, to see and to hear Jesus for themselves. Great, great crowds, Luke tells us, began to follow Jesus wherever he went. It was hard for him to get away from the crowds, as we've seen. But, but, it wasn't all good news uh, for Jesus and his ministry, because just uh, as, as, as the popularity of Jesus was beginning to rise 
amongst the people. As we've seen over the last several weeks, he was also experiencing a growing hostility from, uh, from among the religious leaders of the day. For the last four weeks in our series, it felt like, for me, it felt like this is never going to end. But for four consecutive weeks, we read stories about an, an intensifying conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. See, Jesus was, was challenging and he was confronting their whole religious system. Their whole identity was wrapped up in this system and Jesus was challenging them. He was calling them out for their hypocrisy. And as a result, they hated him. They hated Jesus. And when we left off a couple of weeks ago in Luke chapter 6, verse 11, this is the final verse that we read. We read that the Pharisees were filled with fury and they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. We talked about the fact that that idea of fury, they were literally going out of their mind. They were going crazy. They'd lost all of their senses. They were so angry with Jesus. Matthew tells us in his gospel that they conspired against him. Listen, how to destroy him. Think about that. All these miracles happening. He's healing people. I mean, he is, he's just, wow, 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 wow. Healing paralyzed people, healing people who have leprosy. He's healing, he's healing people who are sick and they want to kill him. They want to kill him. That's how tight their grip was on, on what they held so dear, their religion. Well, that's where we left off. That's where we left off. Uh, on the one hand, things are going really, really well for Jesus and his ministry. But on the other hand, Jesus was, was facing a very real threat from those who hated him, those who were opposing him. And, and listen, Jesus knows Jesus knows that this hatred that they have for him, he knows where it's headed. He knows that he was sent to earth to die in the place of humanity for the sins of humanity, you know? He knows this, and he knows that this, this growing conflict is going to lead to him being arrested, beaten, and crucified in Jerusalem. He knows that this is what's going to happen. And he knows that, in order to ensure that his ministry and his message continues, he needs to train and prepare a select group of individuals who are going to become his representatives. He knows that his time on earth is going to be limited. Wouldn't it be great if we realized that most days, that our time is limited? It changes how you spend your days, doesn't it? That's why they have country songs like live like you're dying, right? Because when you realize that your time is limited, it changes how you spend your day. And Jesus knew that his time was limited, so he's gonna train uh, these, these men to become the leaders of his church after he's gone. They're gonna become his apostles, his representatives. And that's what we're gonna be looking at this morning. Jesus is going to be selecting the 12 disciples that he would name his apostles. So if you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Luke chapter 6, and we're going to be picking up our study in verse 12. Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Luke says that in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, 
And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So Luke says that in these days, what days? In in the days and during the time when Jesus' popularity was, was rising amongst the people, and at the same time that the opposition to Jesus was growing amongst the religious leaders, at a time when Jesus recognized that he had a need to, to, to train and equip those who would carry on his ministry, at that time, what did Jesus do? What did he do? Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. Jesus did what Jesus always did. Jesus went to his father for strength and for direction. And I, I wanna emphasize something at the, at the outset here because I think it's really important that we get this in, in our heads because I think a lot of times we do this, like, like yeah, he's Jesus. He's Jesus, he's the son of God, right? And so we, we, we minimize the fact that Jesus in his humanity, in his humanity needed time with his father to be strengthened and equipped and empowered for the service that God the Father was calling him to carry out on the earth. We see glimpses of that humanity in the prayers that he prayed in those moments like in the garden before he died, right? We see his humanity saying, I need you. Father. If there's any other way that this can happen, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so don't think for a minute that the the rising opposition and the fact that he knows what's coming isn't a challenge that Jesus is having to walk through emotionally. He loves God the Father. He's willing to do whatever God the Father wants him to do, but don't think for a moment that that was an easy decision for him. You know it wasn't, don't you? So he went to his father for strength and direction. You know, one of the things that we see as we, as we read Luke's gospel is the priority that Jesus placed on prayer. In Luke chapter five, we've already looked at this, but you may recall that after Jesus had cleansed the leper, Luke says that even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Again, the crowds are like, wow, we've got to go and see and hear this for ourselves. But verse 16 of of, of Luke chapter five says this, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. As the crowds grew nearer and the demands on Jesus became greater and greater, as the opposition to Jesus became stronger and stronger, Jesus made it a priority to get alone with his father to pray. All right, so now it's time to meddle, right? How about you? How about you? How about me? Is prayer a priority in my life? 
Is prayer a first response or is it a last resort? Is prayer a priority in your life? Now, I know from experience. So, okay, so I'm, I'm lumping myself in with you right now because I know when I say, how's your prayer life? Some of you are going like, Ooh. said the P word, you know? You're like, man, I, I, I feel guilty. I know it's not what it should be. And some of you are like, man, I, 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 I just don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. I know this from experience, and, I, and I've talked to enough people to hear them say things like, I'm just not that good at prayer. I'm not that good at it. And, and I don't know all the words. I don't know all the lingo. I don't speak King James. Um, so, I, right? So, we like, I just don't know. And I just, so, I don't know. I don't know how to pray. And usually, when we say that we're not good at prayer, what we really mean is that we just don't have the right words, right? And we hear other people pray, and we're like, wow, they are so eloquent. Listen, some of the best prayers that you're ever going to pray are the ones where you wake up in the morning and you say, but you don't just say, you, speaking to your heavenly Father, say, and there's a difference, isn't there? Because one is going to somebody who can do something about it, and one is just complaining and grumbling, right? If I were to ask you right now to give me the simplest possible definition for prayer, what is the simplest possible definition for prayer that you can come up with? What do you think? I heard it, I think, in like three or four, almost in unison. You guys can work on this a little bit. Um, You were almost in unison. Talking to God. I agree. If I was going to simplify prayer down to three words, it would be talking to God or Sunday school, talking to Jesus, right? Talking to God, talking to Jesus. When I was, when I was about 17 years old, I was still a pretty new Christian. I gave my life to Christ uh, and, and became a follower at, at 16. I grew up in the church, but but I really made the decision to follow Jesus when I was 16 years old. Anyway, at around 17 years old, a friend of mine, a Christian friend of mine, he heard about a, a high school-aged Bible study that was taking place in, in a person's home. Up in the, it was up in the Waterville area. It, it was about four, I say the Waterville area because I don't remember. I don't remember where it was. I just know that we went on I-95 North towards Waterville. And I'm pretty sure we got off on the exit near like where the movie theater and Martins and all that. That's about what I remember. So anyway, we went up that way. It was about 45 minutes from where we lived. And we didn't know anybody in this, this, uh, this Bible study, but, but we decided that we were going to check it out. We, we heard, we heard it was a great Bible study. We're going to go check it out. I am so glad that I did. I'm so glad that I did. In fact, we never went back not because it wasn't good, just because it was not really practical for us where we lived. So, but there were two things that I remember, two things that I remember uh, about the Bible study that night. Number one, it was so crowded. It was so crowded that there was no room for my friend and I to get into the living room where the teacher was teaching that night. I couldn't even see the teacher, okay? I was standing with my friend in the next room along with a lot of other people. We were all standing and listening as he was teaching. 
Isn't that a cool picture? It reminds me of the stories we read in, in the Gospels, right? As Jesus was preaching in people's homes and people would gather and they'd be standing on the outside. That's what we experienced. And the second thing I remember from that night is I remember a challenge that, that the teacher gave. And I, listen, I don't know, I can't remember even seeing this teacher. I only heard him. I don't remember talking to him. I don't remember anything about him, but I heard the challenge he gave. And it was a challenge that radically impacted my prayer life. He challenged us students to talk with Jesus just like we talk with one another. And you're like, yeah, I've, I've heard that before. But, but it, it was different. He, he challenged us to talk to him literally out loud like he's sitting in the chair next to you to talk to him. Talk, talk to Jesus like he's really there with you. Why? Because he's really there with you. You know, and because he's with us, because he's with us and Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you, right? When he left the earth, he said, I'm never gonna leave you or forsake you. I'm gonna be with you until the end. Because he is really right there with us, he challenged us to include Jesus in all the, the, the fun and the sadness and all the mundane things that you do every day. There's a book called Practicing the Presence of God that, that, that teaches the same thing by Brother Lawrence. But this was new to me. This, I was a new Christian, and this was, this was new to me. I thought, when you pray, you close your eyes, you fold your hands, you bow your head, and you start out with, oh, precious, heavenly, glorious, sincere, loving, good, great, wonderful God. I probably didn't have enough <laughs> adjectives there. But this was different. This was different. And it's nothing wrong with, with those things, right? But, but he just said, no, just talk to him like you talk to each other. So when I left that study, I, I accepted his challenge. I accepted his challenge. I, I, I began to talk to Jesus all the time. Like I really started talking to him all the time. So when I was driving in my car, I talked to Jesus in the passenger seat. Turns out he's a better passenger than the driver. We didn't get very far if I let him sit in the driver's seat. We just kind of sat there. So, so, but Jesus is in the passenger seat. I'm driving and I'm talking to Jesus. Now today, if you see somebody talking as they're driving, it's no big deal because we got these things like Bluetooth headsets and it's very normal to see somebody you know, talking and their lips are moving and they're all alone in the car. That's not strange today. But in 1993, 94, that was very weird. That was very weird. There was no such thing as Bluetooth speakers, right? When, when I was... Working at my job, I worked as a gas station attendant. And when I was working at my job, I would, you know, be cleaning, you know, washing windows and pumping gas. I would talk to Jesus as I was doing my job. Uh, I actually, that's, I only knew a couple, couple little praise songs at, at that time. And so I would sing them while I worked. You know, in my job, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. I, I would sing to Jesus and talk to Jesus and share. Although I, I have to confess that at work, I did try to minimize it more to like a whisper or more like prayers in my head than out loud. I didn't want to get fired. Um, but when I got home from school, when I got from home, some of you guys have heard my testimony, but when I got home from school, I, I, I used to, I love basketball. I used to come home from school and I would stand out in the driveway and shoot hoops. So hey, invite Jesus into your everyday life, right? So I would shoot hoops with Jesus, and, and listen, one-on-one, -on -one, I, I beat him every time. So just saying, 
Just saying. He could not score on me um, playing basketball. But no, I, 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 I would go out, I would shoot hoops, and I would pretend that I was driving around him and, and taking it to the basket. But I would talk to Jesus while I was shooting hoops. I would talk about my day, even though he already knew it right? I would talk to him about my classes. I would talk to him about sports. I would talk to him about girls. I I would ask him for advice. I shared with him my hopes. I talked about my fears. And you know what happened? Something happened. Something really significant happened. I grew in my relationship with Jesus. Hey, I might have looked totally crazy, right? And my mom and dad were probably worried about me, right? Outside, talking to myself outside and people see, see me driving. I don't care. I grew. I grew in my relationship with Jesus. He became very, very real in my life. Very real. For the past couple months, I've been meeting with a, with a young couple in our church for premarital counseling. And over the course of our time together, we have, we've spent time talking about all kinds of different topics related to marriage. We, we've talked about expectations. We've, we've talked about roles and responsibilities and finances and parenting and intimacy. But in, in every session that we've had, every session, we have talked about communication. We've talked about communication because no matter what the topic is, whether it's expectations or finances or intimacy, if you desire a healthy marriage... If you desire a healthy marriage, then you and I both know that you have to communicate with one another. Am I right? Well, our relationship with God is no different, is it? It's no different. If we're going to have a growing and meaningful relationship with God, we have to spend time in meaningful communication with our Heavenly Father. We have to. Talking with Him through prayer, listening to Him through His Word, and through his spirit who lives within us. Just talk to Jesus. Talk to him. And when your heart feels you know, too heavy to even formulate words, just groan, just sigh. And listen, you can know that he is listening. He listens, he's there, he, he cares. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from his children. We need to go to God in prayer. Jesus went to God in prayer. And it's through prayer that, that our, our relationship with God is gonna be deepened and we're gonna receive, we're gonna receive the strength and we're gonna receive the direction that we need for our lives as well. Well, Luke doesn't tell us what Jesus prayed that night. It just says he went up and he prayed. But he prayed for a long time, right? Did he pray for his enemies? What do you think? Did Jesus pray for his enemies? I don't know if he did that night, but I assume he probably did. I know he did pray for his enemies. He probably did that night. Did he share his frustrations about the religious leaders and what they have done to to God's word and, and all the hypocrisy and the legalism? Do you think he shared his frustrations with his father? Like, look what they've done to what we created you think he talked to God about that? Like, oh, I'm so frustrated with this. And he was frustrated. You know that, right? Yeah, he let him have it a few times, and, and we'll, we'll get to some of those, right? Did you think he talked about the crowds of people? Hundreds, thousands of people coming now to hear him, to see him, 
Do you think he prayed that their eyes and their ears would be open to the truth? I wonder if, I wonder if, if as the opposition and the persecution was beginning to intensify, do you think that he, do you think that he talked to his father about the pain and the suffering that he knew was coming? Like, God, please give me the strength to continue doing what you're calling me to do because I'm not really looking forward to this. Do you think he asked for strength to endure? See, when I picture Jesus praying on the mountain that night, those are the types of things that I picture Jesus praying for. But I also picture him praying for each of the men that he would choose the next morning. I wonder, maybe, maybe the list that night started with 24. Maybe there was like, because he was around a lot, he had a lot of disciples, he had a lot of followers. And maybe he was thinking like, I gotta, I gotta narrow this down. And so he's like, these are the guys that I'm thinking. What do you think, God? Father, what, is this the right one? I, I tend to think that he probably spent a little extra time praying for, for Judas, you know? I don't know. I don't know what he prayed that night. But I do know that Luke tells us that all night, all night he continued in prayer to God. All night long. And my wife will tell you, when, when, the, when it's dark, I can have great intentions to, to stay up praying. I can fall asleep praying in about 20 seconds, like seriously. When I, my head hits a pillow, I'm gone. I mean, literally gone. The, the idea of, for me of, of trying to stay up, I, I would fall over and uh, in, in, in fall asleep standing. When I was younger, when I, was, when I was younger, like in my high school and college years, I thought nothing, nothing of pulling an all-nighter, you know? Pulling an all-nighter. In fact, I would almost like plan for it, you know? Like study for that test, I'll just pull an all-nighter, you know? Write that paper, I'll just do an all-nighter, right? During my early years as a youth pastor, I was an all-in for all-nighters. I was all in for all night. I mean, what could possibly be better than bowling and roller skating at 3 a.m. with hundreds of teens? What could be better than that? Sleep. Yes. That is the correct, I don't know who said it, but good for you. Yes, sleep is much, much better than that. And the days of all-nighters are long, long gone. For me, these days, I was telling the, the, the folks out back this morning, these days, I, my, I, nine o'clock is a good target, but if I stay up past 10 o'clock, I feel like such a rebel. Man, look at me. I'm up past 10. I always say goodnight to my boys. I'm like, hey, guys, headed to bed. It's quarter to 10. You guys should probably be getting some rest. You know, knowing full well, they'll be up till midnight, one o'clock, you know, not me. But Jesus spent the whole night in prayer to God, all night. Why? Why? Because Jesus knew that the decision that he was about to make was not only going to impact you know, who he would be spending the bulk of his time with for the next four years, but it was a decision that was going to have an impact on how the ministry and the message of Jesus is going to be carried forth after he is gone. Jesus is going to be preparing and training these apostles, according to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, 
in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is a big decision, right? This is an important decision. And it's a decision that Jesus is not going to make without carefully seeking his Father's will. How often, how often do we find ourselves just plowing forward from one decision to the next, never stopping to seek the will of our Heavenly Father? I was praying about this just this morning, and I was sharing it with my wife, that a lot of times the way I, 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 I approach decisions, sometimes it's like man makes his plans and the Lord directs his steps. So I'm gonna make my plans and Lord, if you don't like it, you obviously have the, the privilege and, and, and right to stop it dead in its tracks. You can do that. You can do that. So I'm gonna make my plans and I'm gonna do it. Wouldn't it be so much better? And it, wouldn't it be easier for me to determine if the Lord is leading a different way if I said, Lord, I've been making these plans and I want to run them by you. I want to run them by you. What do you think? What do you want, Lord? Is this what you want me to do? And then by going to him, we're inviting him to speak to us through his spirit. I think a lot of times we miss the Lord saying no to a plan that we've made because, because we're basically saying, oh, I'll stop going this direction if you miraculously intervene. We're not listening for that still small voice to say, no, go this way. No, go this way. But if we take the time to seek him, then we remain open to hearing from him. Wow. I mean, think about it. If Jesus, the sinless son of God, recognized the necessity of prayer in his life, how much more do you and I, as sinful and all too often selfish human beings who are prone to wander, right? How much more do we need to make prayer a priority in our lives. Taking time to go to God, to be strengthened, and to seek his will for our lives. Well, after spending the entire night talking with his father, in verse 13, it says that the, when day came, he called his disciples and he chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Now, as I mentioned earlier, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he already has many, many disciples who are following him. And to be a disciple is to be a student, a learner, a follower. But from this larger group of followers, this, this large group of disciples, Jesus now selects 12 men for a, for a very special role. Through wisdom and through careful prayer and direction from his father, Jesus now selects the 12 men whom he is going to name apostles. And the word uh, apostle means one who is sent out, one who is sent out, one who is commissioned. Jesus selects 12 men that he is going to pour his life into in order to send them out as his representatives. These guys are going to go out and they're going to carry, like they are going to be like, uh, what would we say, that's uh, uh, ambassadors, right? They're going out, they're his ambassadors, his representatives to the world. These guys are gonna be, they're gonna be traveling with Jesus. They're gonna be eating meals with Jesus. They're gonna be serving the crowds with Jesus. They're gonna be, they're gonna be listening to Jesus preaching about the kingdom over and over and over again wherever they went. 
And after they listened to him teach these same messages over and over and over again, wherever he went, Jesus is going to sit down with them and he's going to talk about those messages to make sure they get it, to make sure they understand it. These guys are going to be called to enter into an intense training program, a few years of very focused discipleship. Jesus is going to mentor and he's going to prepare these 12 men to be sent out as his representatives to do the work that they've seen Jesus doing. That's what they're going to do, to teach the message that they've heard Jesus teaching. Jesus is going to pour his life into these 12 men in order to ensure that, that his ministry and his message are going to continue long after he has left the earth. Now, I'd say that since you and I are sitting here over 2,000 years later reading about his ministry and his message and, and trying to apply his ministry and his message to our lives so that we can then take that ministry and message to others, I'd say Jesus did a pretty good job selecting the 12 men to be his apostles. Don't you? In verse 14, we read that Jesus selected Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. By the way, these, these names are very familiar in many ways to us. If you grew up in the church, you're like, ah, I've heard these names. And I think there's even Sunday school songs to remember the names. There were 12 disciples, Jesus. Okay, so there's like, we've, we've, we're familiar with these names. But there's actually, there's, there's four places in the New Testament where these uh, 12 disciples are listed out, okay? You've got Matthew has a list, Mark has a list, uh, Luke has a list, and then there's another list in Acts, and Acts was written by Luke, right? So Luke actually has two lists, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. And before I highlight you know, a, a few points of interest about uh, the apostles, I thought it'd be nice just to point out a few things that you might notice if you were comparing uh, the four lists side by side. How many of you have ever done that? Just taking a time to look at the four lists side by side, totally nerded out. All right, great. Total Bible nerds, love it. All right, so if you look at these uh, side by side, first of all, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna notice on the slide behind me that in all four lists, Peter is always listed first, right? Peter is always Listed first. And this is probably because of, of Peter's leadership among the apostles, as well as his leadership in the early church. But you can also see that, that Judas Iscariot is always listed last. And again, this is probably for, for obvious reasons. As it says in verse 16, he became a traitor. Now, by the way, you'll notice in the, in the final list in Acts, there's an empty spot in the bottom. And that's because by the time that they made this list, they were actually looking for his replacement because Judas had already ended his own life. And that's why he's not in that, in that list. The second uh, thing that you will likely notice is that in, in, in the lists in Luke and in Acts near the bottom, there, there's a guy named... Judas, the son of James. You guys see that one? Judas, the son of James. But if you look over at Matthew and Mark's list, you're not going to see Judas, the son of James. 
However, if you look at Matthew and Mark's list, you're going to see a guy named Thaddeus. But if you look at Luke and Acts, you're not going to see a guy named Thaddeus. So, what, so why is that? Well, first of all, in that culture, let me just say this. In that culture, it's very common for people to have more than, more than one name that they went by. In fact, a lot of the disciples, Thomas was also known as Didymus or the twin. They, they, they had multiple names, right? So first of all, there, there's that. Most commentators, most biblical scholars believe that, that Thaddeus and Simon, the, the son of Judas, are, are uh, no, not Simon, Judas, the son of James. Whew, there's a lot of names there. I get them all confused. Judas, the son of James, and Thaddeus are probably uh, the same person. So Matthew and Mark are probably calling Judas, the son of James, by his nickname or a second name that he went by, Thaddeus. And if you think about it, if you think about it, and I'm just being honest, if my name was Judas, okay, after what happened, after what happened, people be come up to you and be like, hey, which one of Jesus' disciples are you? Be like, oh, my name's Ju- You can call me Thaddeus. You, you call me Thaddeus, right? For obvious reasons, you might choose to be known by, by a different name, and it's a good way to differentiate between, between the two. But here's the thing. When you look at this list, you know that, that for many of these disciples, if you've read through the New Testament, you know that we, we know quite a bit about some of them. Some of these guys we, we know a lot about, like name one. Who do we know a lot about? Peter. Yeah, who else do we know a lot about? John, yeah. Who do we know a little bit about, but not a lot? Matthew, yeah. We already met Matthew, right, tax collector? Yeah. He threw a big party for Jesus, invited all his sinful friends. That was great. That was a good story. What else? Thomas. Poor Thomas. Poor Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Who here has never had their doubts? How'd you like to be remembered for that? You know, that's Thomas. Listen, we read stories about guys like Peter and John, and we, we feel like we, can, we know them, right? We feel like we can relate to them. Maybe, maybe you can relate to Thomas. But for many of these disciples, we actually know very little about them, right? Guys like Simon the Zealot don't really know a lot about him. Or, or Thaddeus, Thaddeus. We don't really know too much about Thaddeus. Or how about this one? James, the son of Alphaeus. Tell me your favorite story about James, the son of Alphaeus. He was one of the 12 apostles. That's about all you can tell. That's a great story. Thank you, Bill. That's a great story. I mean, it's interesting to me that here he is, James, the son of Alphaeus, one of the people that Jesus chose. He's a guy like Peter, like James, like John, and all the others who he left everything to follow Jesus, right? But when the scriptures were written and the Bible was closed, all that was left was a name. It's all that's left. We don't know his story. We don't know all the ways that Jesus worked in and through his life. We don't know about his doubts. We don't know about his questions. We don't know about his steps of faith and different things he did in serving Jesus and serving with Jesus. We don't know, but you can be sure that Jesus did. Jesus knew. In Revelation chapter 21, this is an awesome, awesome verse. There's a description. 
is the description in Revelation chapter 21 of the new Jerusalem where God is going to dwell with his people. God's gonna dwell in this new Jerusalem with his people, a place where there's not gonna be any more death, no more tears, no more, no more pain, no more mourning. And in verse 14 of Revelation chapter 21, we read these words. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. How cool is that? In the new Jerusalem, there's gonna be a foundation, and on that foundation is gonna be a name, James, the son of Alphaeus, right there in the new Jerusalem. How cool is that? I love that. That's so encouraging to me because this is, I don't wanna be, be a downer here, but guys, 200 years from now, if Jesus tarries, not many of us are gonna be remembered, right? I mean, it doesn't take too many generations for most people to be forgotten. Very few names live on for hundreds or thousands of years, much less stories about them. They might be a name that appears in a genealogy somewhere. But here's the thing. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that our names are recorded in heaven. Our names are recorded in heaven, recorded in the Lamb's book of life. In Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Jesus said, if you want, you, you want to rejoice about something, they were, they were getting all excited, the, the disciples, they were getting all excited about what they were, God was doing in and through them. He said, whoa, 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 you want to rejoice about something? Rejoice about this, that your names are written in heaven. That's something worth rejoicing about. You see, more important than being remembered and being known by others, more important than that is, is, is knowing and being known by Jesus. That matters more than anything. Let me tell you what else I love about this list of, of 12 disciples that Jesus chose. When Jesus selected the 12 disciples, he, he didn't hop on a donkey. He didn't hop on a camel and ride down to Jerusalem, head down to Judea, and, and go find and interview the most promising students from among the priests and the Pharisees. That's what you'd expect for, for, a, for a new rabbi choosing his disciples, you'd expect him to go to the most promising students, the ones, oh, this guy's, me he, he memorized the entire Old Testament. He can do it backwards, he's so smart. Amazing, right? That's what people expect. But no, instead, Jesus went to not Jerusalem, not Judea, he went to Galilee. And we've already talked about this, but Galilee had a bad reputation. You know, these are, these are uh, second-rate citizens, they don't really take their faith serious, there's a lot of Gentiles living there. And so, especially the religious leaders, they look down on Galilee. And Jesus says, oh, that's the perfect place to go get my disciples. Hmm. Author Kent Hughes says this. He says, this was the original no-name offense. All except for Judas Iscariot were Galileans. Let me pause there for just one second. Only one, only one of the disciples do we know wasn't from Galilee, and that's Judas. Judas came from down in Judea from a place called Cariote. And, and, and so if anyone was suspected as maybe being a promising up-and-coming disciple, it would have been Judas Iscariot. Isn't that interesting? The only one that the people might have chosen. Ken Hughes says that they, they, all except for Judas were Galileans, country boys, country boys. Four of them were fishermen, maybe actually as many as seven actually. One was a hated tax gatherer. 
Not one of them was a priest or an elder or a ruler of the people. They were, as their detractors labeled them, unschooled, ordinary men. Wow. One of the things that we know from Scripture is that while we are often so focused on the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, a great story, when God sent Samuel to anoint Israel's next king, Saul had blown it, God was done with Saul, so he sent Samuel to anoint the next king. God did not choose the one that everyone expected. Instead, he chose the youngest of Jesse's son, a boy named David. And God said these words. He said, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God took this eclectic group of unschooled, ordinary men, and he used them to establish his church and to ignite the spread of the gospel all across the world. That's a miracle, okay? It's a miracle what God is able to do with just ordinary people. I think that's part of why, why Luke is writing this story to Theophilus. Theophilus, like, he's like, how in the world is this still happening, right? Because this Jesus has died, he's resurrected, he's gone back to heaven, and later on, you know, probably, I don't know, 40, 50, you know, 10, 20, 30 years after Jesus died, I'm not sure how long it's been, but, but Luke decides he's gonna write this message to Theophilus. Like, let me tell you what Jesus did, because this is a miracle that this movement is still going, right? And so it all began with prayer. Yeah, I think, I think, he, I think Luke wants Theophilus to know that. But man, in Acts chapter 17, we're told that these followers were accused of, get this, they were accused of turning the world upside down. A bunch of Galileans turning the whole world upside down. And I find that exciting. I don't know if you do or not, because here's what I like about it. God is in the business of taking ordinary people like you and me from all different walks of life, and then he brings us together and he unites us around one person, his son, Jesus Christ. God brings us together. We are so different, aren't we? I am so glad that you're not like me. The world cannot handle another Chris, seriously. My wife often jokes, she's like, I wish that people could see what I see. She, she, I'm a little crazy, you know, a little strange. I make some great funny faces and she gets to see them every morning. <laughs> but he takes all of us so unique, so different, different gifts, different talents, different everything, right? So different. And he brings us together, brothers and sisters, members of one family, members of, of, of one church, the body of Christ. His church. And it's not just this, right? I mean, we get it. It's, we're part of a much bigger church with people who are even more different than we are. I was thinking about this morning, like right now, as we're gathering in church on Sunday, the Lord's Day, people gathering in church all across the globe. We got, there are people gathering in churches who are sitting on dirt, sitting on, 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 on wooden benches. Some of them are sitting outside, inside. Some of them are wearing dress shoes and suits and ties. Others are wearing, I don't know, like some type of a dress or, or robes and uh, other people aren't wearing shoes, right? And all across the world, every, 
every skin color, every race worshiping one God today. Isn't that awesome? Hopefully worshiping every day, but the, the idea that they come together on the Lord's day to worship, so, so very cool. This is what Jesus does. It's amazing what he does. One, one more thing before we move on to verse 17. I just wanna take a moment to acknowledge that Jesus, after all night prayer session here with his father, he willingly chose Judas to be one of his disciples. He chose Judas knowing that Judas would one day betray him. I, I, you gotta let that sink in. In John chapter six, verse 64, we learn that Jesus knew from the beginning who it was who would betray him. You think about that. As Jesus went up to pray that night, and he's praying through the list of people he's gonna call to be his disciples, when he gets to Judas, he knows that Judas is gonna betray him. In Luke chapter six, uh, John chapter six, again, the same chapter, Jesus says these words. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Jesus knew. Jesus chose Judas knowing exactly what Judas was gonna do. And Jesus poured his life into Judas in the same way that he poured his life into the others. Do you think Judas felt less loved by Jesus than Peter? No way. Judas traveled with Jesus. They, he, he shared meals with Jesus. They laughed together. They served together. Jesus loved Judas and he poured his life into Judas. Why? Because Jesus knew. Jesus knew that what Judas meant for harm, God was gonna use for good. He knew that. God was gonna take Judas's betrayal to make salvation available to all of us. And so Jesus embraced his father's will and he embraced Judas as one of his closest followers. Jesus trusted his father's will. And it's a challenge for us to ask ourselves, do I trust the father's will the trying circumstances that you're going through, do you recognize that, that those circumstances had to pass before the sovereign hand of God? And he'll walk with you through it. Has he put a Judas in your life? That, I, mean, I gotta tell you, that, like, I read that, I'm like, wow, I don't, whew, Jesus, I don't, I hope I would do what you did there. I'm not so sure. Might have had to take two or three all-night prayer sessions for, for, for me. But Jesus loved him and chose him as one of his closest followers. Well, after selecting his 12 apostles, we read in verse 17 that he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of, of Tyre and Sidon, that's up on, on the coast of the Mediterranean, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowds sought to touch him for power came out from him and healed them all. Immediately after Jesus selects his, his 12 apostles, he looks at them and he says, all right, boys, it's time to get to work. 
Time to get to work. It's time to begin your formal training. And so Jesus comes down from the mountain with his 12 disciples and he begins to minister to all of those who have gathered, to as many disciples and the great crowds which have traveled from all over Judea and Samaria and up the coast from Tyre and Sidon. Having, having received the strength that he needs through prayer, Jesus now uses his power to heal the sick, to free those who are plagued by evil spirits. And beginning in verse 20, beginning in verse 20, which we're not going to start today, don't get nervous, but beginning in verse 20, Jesus is going to then begin to teach his followers about what life as a disciple of Jesus looks like. What does life in the kingdom look like? That's next time. That's next time. One of the thoughts that I had is that, you know, as Jesus was facing these mounting pressures building on him with the opposition, and he went to his father to pray and went to his father for strength. You know, when, when opposition rises in our life, one of the temptations might be to, to shrink back, right? To cave in fear because these guys are threatening my life. Jesus goes to his father. He brings his, his, all that he's dealing with, he brings it to his father and he comes out of that with a resolve to keep ministering to the people, to keep doing what God the Father has called him to do. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but listen, maybe you are facing some serious opposition. Keep doing what God has called you to do. Keep ministering to the people around you and keep proclaiming the truth that God has called you to proclaim. Jesus was strengthened and empowered to keep ministering to the people. Let me close with this. As we read through the Gospels, what we see over and over again is how Jesus lived his life with a fierce determination to do his Father's will. I believe that it is the thing that got Jesus out of bed every morning. I want to live for you today, God. I want to do your will. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And what we see in the Gospels is that Jesus received his direction and his strength through regular connection with his Father through prayer. So brothers and sisters, as followers of Jesus, we need to live our lives with a determination to do the Father's will. We do. No matter what he might be calling us to do, and the way that we're going to determine his will and the way that we're going to receive strength to accomplish his will is through regular connection with God the Father, through prayer, through listening to God through his word and listening to God through his Holy Spirit. So I want to leave you with the same challenge that I received when I was about 17 years old, okay? Start talking to Jesus like you would talk to one another. Start talking to him just like you would talk to one another. Talk with Jesus like he's right there with you because he is right there with you. Include him in all the variety of things that you do every day. Talk with him. Talk about whatever's on your mind. Talk, ask him for advice. Tell him your hopes. Tell him your dreams. Tell him your fears. Share your hurts. 
just talk with Jesus. And if people think you're crazy, oh well, oh well, guess what? I believe that if, if you can push back the, the fears of being a little crazy, if you can push past that and talk to Jesus, I believe, I truly believe that something is gonna happen. I believe something's gonna happen. I believe that your relationship with Jesus is going to grow. Stop making prayer more complicated than it is, okay? I have, I have volumes of books in my office about prayer, okay? And they're good. They're great resources on how to pray and different types of prayer. There, there's nothing wrong with those books. But don't let prayer become so complicated that you stop praying. Just talk to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, Jesus, Thank you that you are here. Thank you that you called us by name. Thank you that we get to be your children. Thank you that, that our names, if we have chosen to follow you, our names are recorded in your book of life. And thank you, Jesus, that you're able to take all of us so strange, so different, and you're able to unite us in you. And, and, and just like you used those 12 men to turn the world upside down, God, I believe that you can use us, your children here at Fayette Baptist Church to turn this community upside down. And just like you use them to, to introduce other people to you, you can use us to introduce other people to you. Well, thank you so much, Jesus. We love you. Thank you for meeting with us. Jesus, would you tap us on the shoulder, each one of us, reminding us how much we need to take time to meet with you. When we leave this place and we get busy, Jesus, would you just tap us on the shoulder and remind us to talk with you? And as we do, God, help us to just enjoy the relationship that we're developing with you. I pray these things in your name, Jesus, our Savior. Amen.